from what I've read, you've kind of you've got a lot of things going on in your your life right now, other than what we're going to talk about. You you play in a band and you do some other things. What would you say is keeping you busy these days? I'm pretty much, honestly, uh, mostly Waco. I'm working with a friend of mine. Uh, getting he has a, um, I guess, a petroleum business, but that's that's something entirely. Uh, Really, what I'm trying to do, there's two things I want to do, three things I'm, I'm working on right now that I consider the most important. I'm working on a 12, a 12, uh, a, a season podcast with 12 episodes about Waco. And, and why that's important to me is because uh, there's a lot of amazing people that haven't had their voices heard. And I'm thinking of James Tabor and Phil Arnold, so some of the theologians. I have um, people that have, have been journalists that haven't been able to get their stories out, people that lived in the town of Waco. Um, there's many stories here that have never been told because they don't fit into a soundbite. And I want to be able to tell these people stories and have them be able to have a complete thought without it being cut. So I'm really excited about this this, um, this podcast series. We're going to allow everyone to, to have their stay without cutting them and without editing it to the point where, where you know they're saying something totally different than what they actually meant. So I'm excited about that. I'm trying to work on a documentary and getting a documentary off the ground, and at the same time preparing for a TED Talk. Very cool, very cool. If I could do those three things, then I feel like I can go to the grave. So let's let's talk about about you. You you just kind of mentioned hearing voices of other people. Let's let's talk about uh, kind of your your storytelling. Um, someone who went through a traumatic event like this may shy away from it and try to bottle it down, but you're doing, it seems like, the exact opposite. Why is that? When I wrote the book, I wrote the book about 20 years ago, and I did it because I was so upset with the way everything was presented and with how the public perceived Waco because of the way the FBI handled the situation and controlled the press and controlled the media and told the media basically what to write by giving, this is before social media, so if the, if, the, if the government was doing a press conference, they're controlling all the information, then all the people, all the journalists are only releasing what the, what the government's telling them. So there was no alternative way to look at this and look at the situation. And so that's, you know, that's done great damage to many, many people that were involved in Waco. And the point is this. Uh, I just don't want to give the FBI the last word. The, you know, we're, we live in an age where you can't really rewrite history. Uh, the winner, the victors have always rewritten history. And we are now in an age where we can allow that to not happen by having those eyewitness testimonies um, put into a podcast, something that will exist and live forever. And that's what I'm excited about. Uh, I think it's too late for my generation. If you pretty much made your decision on Waco, not much is going to change it. But this new generation, if they're given the facts, they'll be able to make their decisions about what happened here at Waco. And if I can say this one thing really briefly, when the FBI convinced everyone that what happened here was a bunch of religious fanatics killed themselves, <laughs> we have so much evidence that people were exiting the back of the building and we were being shot from positions near the tank. We actually have that on infrared video. So here's my whole point. If people were exiting the building and they were being shot at the hands of the government, then that is not a mass suicide. Even if a couple people did kill themselves because they couldn't escape a building and they were going to burn to death, that's not a mass 
suicide. That's a mass homicide. And the thing that bothers me is, is the fact that it's always been perceived as a mass suicide. It's not really the truth. And so when you come to um, conventions, um, well, let me ask you first, the, the event that's going to be in Champaign in October, do you do those type of conventions frequently? And if so, uh, what do you hope to accomplish? I assume it's a lot of what you just told me, just getting your side of the story out. You know, I haven't done something like this for many, many, many years. I did initially, um, after I wrote the book, I, I went all all across the country giving talks about my, even before I wrote the book. I kind of fell out of it after I saw the infrared video of the people being shot trying to exit the building. And the reason I did is because that, seeing that video made me angry, and it made me angry in a way that I, that I, I, did, I couldn't cope with. I didn't expect it. I get to the point where I'd be on a stage in front of 500 people and I'd be showing the infrared video and I would be screaming and yelling and just not in control of myself. I, I, I had to step away for many, many years. So, you know, I feel like I've gone through that process and I can talk about it again. And frankly, I'm just doing it because there's a whole new generation. The six-part series came out and I'm getting so much feedback from it. So many people internationally. I got, I'm getting calls from Australia and New Zealand. People that said they saw the six-part series and they just never knew how deceived they were about what happened here. So, you know, I take that very seriously. My, my father's a history teacher. History is a very important thing in my family and for me personally. And I'm just in a position to say, that's not what happened. This is what happened, you know? And it, 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 I think mistakes were made on both sides. But the government came in and gassed a bunch of kids to death, and that's that's what happened. And you know what? We just have to face up that our government did that. And it, it, it's absolutely horrendous, and I hope it never happens again. And talking about it is the way to help prevent that, I think. I hope. I, I found an article that Time uh, magazine wrote about you meeting uh, Gary Nosner on the set of that miniseries. Uh, if you can put that into words, what, what was that meeting like? You know, at first there was trepidation, of course, on my part, meeting any FBI agent. Um, but after talking to Gary, Gary, of course, he's a communicator. I mean, he was a negotiator. He was one of the original negotiators, the one that actually David and Steve liked. And to me, that was interesting because there actually were negotiators that David and Chris and Steve Schneider liked during the, pro the process of the 51-day siege. And usually what would happen is when David liked someone, the uh, FBI commander would take him off and put someone else on, maybe an atheist or someone who didn't really care about what David was trying to say. Uh, Gary, I think, was more sympathetic. And Gary was the one that was saying, listen, um, if you guys put pressure on these people, it's going to solidify them, it's going to make David's pressure problems come true. We need to start taking pressure off. Unfortunately, the task commanders did not listen to that. They applied more pressure, and that's exactly what happened. It, the, the pressure they were applying on the people in that building made them a more tight, made us a more tight-knit group. It made us much more um, not trustworthy of the government 